And today, that's what we're going to talk about, the life change that is possible with Jesus in a surprising moment. Uh, For all of us, if you've been in church maybe for the first time today, or you've been in church for 60 or 70 or 80 years, uh, the Easter story has never changed. There's no surprises to the Easter story for us. Uh, We know that on Friday, Jesus died, and on Sunday, we're here, and he resurrected. Uh, That hasn't changed. Uh, We haven't changed that story. It's all the same. But in the first century, that very first, those very first eyewitnesses, they were surprised. They were surprised at what happened in that tomb. And I don't know if you've ever been surprised. Uh, I had, just last year when I turned 39, uh, I... One or two of you, thank you for the encouragement. (laughs) A number of years ago, I should say, uh, when I turned 39, Brandy, my wife, and a couple of our friends who at the time were kind of in this on-again, off-again dating relationship, Uh, they're married now and they have a child, but uh, they decided, uh, I don't know whose idea it was, and you can ask Brandy later because I'll get most of the details wrong today, uh, so you can ask her for the real story, but... Uh, they decided to surprise me for my 39th birthday. And so they designed this elaborate plan. I had no clue. Uh, Tim and Barbara and Brandy, we all went to dinner together, a nice restaurant. Um, and we had a wonderful time. It was great. And they said, hey, why don't we go bowling? Well, if you don't know about this, I, I love to bowl. I took bowling as a PE credit in college. It, it's lots of fun. It's a great, anybody can do it. And it's fun to laugh, especially if you, the more gutter balls you get, the better. Uh, and so it's a lot of fun. So, hey, let's go bowling. Oh, okay, sure. So we drive over to the bowling alley in his truck and we park kind of away from the main entrance. I, I didn't, I'm not paying attention because they're busy distracting me the whole time. So, you know, he has a nice truck, and so maybe he doesn't want to get dinged. And then we get out and like, hey, let's take a selfie. Yes, selfies were a thing when I was 39. Uh, So I'm not that old. Thank you very much. So we take a selfie at the front of his truck because they wanted to distract me from looking in the parking lot to see any cars that I might recognize. Because as soon as the, the bowling alley doors opened, I saw, I locked eyes with one of the young adults who attended our church. I thought, wow. And then all of a sudden, sort of my peripheral vision expanded. And it wasn't one, but dozens and dozens of young adults from our church. And they all were surprised and great time. And I, I couldn't believe it. I, they had fooled me. I was surprised. They gave me a bowling pin. They all signed it. I still have it today. I don't let the boys touch it because all their signatures will rub off very easily. So it just kind of sits there and, and we get to admire it about how old I'm getting now. But, but I was shocked. I was surprised. And then we had a great time of bowling. It was lots of fun, people everywhere, cake, all kinds of good stuff. There was, there was joy and happiness afterwards. And then I think about this event that we're going to read about today, sort of the dramatic moments of the cross, that Friday when, when Jesus is there on the cross Nails in his hands, nails in his feet, the crown of thorns on his head, blood is everywhere. It's one of those gruesome scenes that you, you want to look away, but you really don't. And it's, it's agony, it's heartache, it's, it's destruction. Can you imagine being Mary, the mother of Jesus, in that moment? The, the heartache and the pain and the sorrow, the grief, the gruesome nature of that moment. And then 
we know they didn't realize that Jesus was going to be resurrected on that Sunday morning. The heartache they felt before the surprise. It's a strange dynamic this Easter weekend as we look at it, filled with death and pain, and then filled again with hope and victory. And so I want us this morning to look at two passages of Scripture, kind of back to back from one another. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to John chapter 19. And then we're going to read a short, short passage in John 19, and then keep your Bible open, because we're going to read down to chapter 20. But in John 19, towards the end of that chapter, middle of that chapter, in verse 28, we get some of the final words that Jesus speaks. Two of the last statements that he makes while he is alive there are seven total of these statements, and two of them are right here in this short passage. And so in John 19, verse 28, it says this, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said so that Scripture might be fulfilled, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch, and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This scene is sad. It's horrible. Because we're watching, they are watching someone die. And he is telling them that he's dying. But this moment just isn't sad because we, experience, we get to see death. But this moment is purposeful. There's purpose in this moment. Even in his last breath, there is purpose to Jesus. Always. Everything that he says and does is to confirm that he and he alone is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And in these statements, he's fulfilling Scripture so that those who would know the Scripture would recognize exactly who he is. That he is the Savior of the world, the one who takes away our sin. And so he makes this first statement, I thirst. This passage, this statement may refer back to Psalm 69, a passage in Psalm 69. And as he says that, our attention is drawn to this pot of sour wine. And, and so they dip a little sponge in it and lift it up to him with a branch. And you need to know about this sour wine. There, there wasn't anything great about this. It was pretty bitter and, and didn't taste good. But they gave it to them not so that they could ease the pain, not so that his pain would be lessened, not so that he could endure the cross a little longer with a little wine. No, this wine was designed to constrict the throat muscles so that whoever was on the cross couldn't scream any louder. It would prevent them from screeching, from shrieking in pain and horror. And so it wasn't so much graceful as it was practical to give whoever that was on the cross 
this sour wine. And John, the writer of this gospel, wants to make sure that every aspect of this passion moment is exactly what God intended to fulfill Scripture. That Jesus is the only one who could be the Messiah to fulfill the Old Testament prophecy. And that the Father's plan of redemption was in full effect because of the Son's obedience. That God's exact plan to rescue, to redeem the world was carried out by the Son's obedience. And so this moment is a powerful moment, a purposeful moment. And then Jesus, after he gets the sour wine, he says this beautiful phrase, it is finished. It was a once and for all death. No other death needed to happen to pay the penalty of sin for humanity. No one else needed to die for the people. Only Jesus. And this phrase, it is finished, is an accounting term. It means your debt is paid in full. Your account is square. The debt is settled. It's as if your debt has not just been carried out, your payment hasn't just been carried out, but it's been carried out to perfect completion. Not just halfway done, not just sort of done, not done in a you know, C-plus way. No, done perfectly. That your sin and my sin, that's our debt. Our debt is our sin. Your debt and my debt has been completely paid. It is finished. Jesus' work of redemption was done in that moment. This phrase, for us, it's a phrase. In the Greek, it's one word, tetelestai. It's the most remarkable word ever spoken. It is finished. Tetelestai. I know we've got a lot of U of H and Baylor fans, maybe now just Baylor fans. <laughs> and, and, and when I think about this phrase, it always reminds me of when I was young in ministry, we did a, a thing called evangelism explosion. It was a, a method to which we would go and share the gospel. And to telestai was a key phrase in that presentation. And men and women in our church would buy polos and they would have their polo embroidered with this word to telestai on it. It is finished because they wanted to get people to ask about it. They wanted to demonstrate. They wanted to sort of wear their team colors, if you will, and say, it's finished. The work of Christ is finished for me. My debt has been paid just like we would wear our red and white or our green and gold or burnt orange or purple, my favorite color. I get to wear it today and not be, you know, looked down upon. But it's the greatest word ever spoken for you and me. Because you and I don't have to wallow in our sin. We don't have to fear death and destruction. We don't have to fear separation from God for eternity. Because Jesus paid the penalty for you and me. He redeemed us. That's what that word means, to be redeemed, to our account 
account be settled. And, and I try in our modern era to, to come up with some type of comparison to what this means. And, and there's, there is no comparison at all to what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. But in a very small way, you and I will get the picture when I tell you that the one thing I love about life and one of the things I hate about life are gift cards. <laughs> gift cards are a great blessing. They're wonderful. People give you a gift card to Chick-fil-A or Dillard's or Bass Pro Shop or five restaurants in one. What a deal. But have you ever used a gift card and only spent the amount on the gift card? It's impossible. You get a $25 gift card, you go to Chick-fil-A, and it's $28.02. It's the worst. Or you have a $25 gift card, and it's $24.81. Oh, thanks. It's 19 cents. Oh, that's just going to sit there forever. It's the worst. Because it's never quite full. It's, it's, I always spend too much or spend too little. It's never exactly right. But I'm thankful today that when Jesus said to Telestai, that my debt was paid forever. Yeah. It was a past action. It is finished. It's done. It was a past action that has ongoing consequences and that ongoing consequence is that you and I today, 2,000 years later, don't have to be defined by sin and slavery and bondage to sin. We don't have to because it's finished. It's been paid in full. And we know that the story doesn't end here. That's the beauty of the gospel is the story doesn't end with Jesus dying on the cross no, it keeps going. And, and we know that when he was taken off that cross, he was put in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. A, a friend let him borrow his grave. And even his old buddy Nicodemus brings some spices to help with the burial process. And he's laid in that tomb and the stone is rolled in front. And then on Sunday morning, something extraordinary happens. And so I want to pick up the story in John chapter 20 in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. On Sunday morning, she was up early before the sunrise while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. If you've ever wondered about that, that is John, the guy who's writing this book. He is the one whom Jesus loved. And she said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen cloths, 
but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Early Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene, of all people, the woman with a storied past, the woman whose life had been changed radically by Jesus, she's there first. She gets to the tomb, and I imagine she just didn't stumble upon the tomb and see it was rolled away. I bet she saw it from a distance. Uh oh, this doesn't look right. The stone has been moved. It's rolled away. And we today are like, oh, okay, yeah, stone is rolled away. But imagine on Friday, you went to a funeral and you watched your friend get buried in a casket underground and they threw the dirt on top like they do at every funeral. And you came back this morning, and as you walked up, you noticed the dirt was on the side and the casket was open. You would freak out. <laughs> Just like she did. She freaked out. She's confused, scared, frustrated. Oh my goodness, what has happened? She, she does not believe he's resurrected. She thinks his body has been stolen. That's what you would think if you walked up on your friend's grave. Some grave robbers came and took his diamond ring, moved his body. I better go tell somebody. It, 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 again, we, we kind of sensationalize this scene, but if it was here in modern era, we would go crazy. We would be scared to death. We wouldn't know what to do. And so she runs back to the disciples and says, hey, He's not there. Somebody's taken the body, and I don't know where he went. Now, if you read Luke's gospel, Luke's account of this story, they didn't immediately believe her. They didn't move quickly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of like one of you would be if we came and said, hey, uh, our friend's not there. What? It's April 4th, not April 1st. But eventually, Peter, as you might imagine, gets up and starts running. He runs to go see what's happened. And Peter is an old, crotchety fisherman, so he's not very fast. John is younger, and so they're running together, and then John passes him and gets to the tomb first, and he stoops in. Now, John's a smart man. Because how many of you walking up onto that gravesite would just, like, jump into the grave? Mm, yeah, one of you, Peter. That's your nickname now. Because most of us would do the same thing that John did. We were like, oh, hey, okay, that's, uh, got your cell phone light? That's what we would do. But not Peter. Peter charges right in. He rushes into the tomb. And they both see independently the linen cloths in different places folded perfectly. This wasn't a snatch and grab. This was a purposeful event. That Jesus is no longer here. And John, when he walks in, verse 8 tells us, he saw and believed. 
It was in that moment that his eyes were opened. That word saw means to perceive, to understand, to to know now, to get it. I, I get it now. Jesus beat death. He rose from the grave. He is resurrected. In that moment, John's eyes were opened, though he didn't quite understand the scripture. He knew it in that moment that Jesus had been raised from the dead. None of them understood at that point. They should have. They should have understood. Jesus kept telling them. It wasn't like a giant surprise because he dropped hint after hint after hint to them. Throughout that three years, he was with them, but none of them got it. In that moment, John got it. I wonder if there's a moment when you and I get it. For many of you in this room, there was a moment in your life when you got it, when you believed that Jesus really was the Savior and is the Savior of the world. And you placed your faith in him. You trusted him with all that you are. You believe that he finished the work of paying my debt. And you put your faith in him. You acknowledge to him, Lord, I know it's finished because you did it. And so I trust you to forgive me of my sin. And I place my faith in you. That's when we walk from death to life. And if you're here today and you've never made that commitment, I want to invite you today to make that commitment, to trust that Jesus paid a debt you could never pay, a sin debt, and he redeemed you. He exchanged his life for yours so that you may have a relationship with him and the heaven, his, your heavenly father. He bridged that gap. So today, my prayer is that you would see or maybe even hear and believe that Jesus can be your Savior. He is the Savior. And so invite him. Believe in him. Because the tomb was not opened so that Jesus could escape. The tomb was opened so that the world would know that he had risen that's why the tomb was open, so that you and I would understand that he, didn't, he was not bound by that tomb, so that we could see with our own eyes, that we could know for certain that he conquered death. Why do you think the linen cloth were laid perfectly, separated from one another, and not just thrown about like he was thrown? No, there was purpose in everything that Jesus did. And his purpose was for you and I to know that he conquered death, and in turn, you and I can conquer death when we believe on his name. The cross, the cross of Christ, the the moment on Calvary when he breathed his last breath and said, it is finished. That cross was the completed work of redemption. The empty tomb is the confirmation that God the Father fully accepts the work of Jesus. His resurrection is confirmation that God knew our debt was paid and that his son had paid our debt. That he himself bore our sins on that tree. The father accepted the sacrifice of the son. And John, in that moment, he gets it. Jesus is the resurrected one. 
He lives. He lives. And then, one of the most frustrating passages in all of Scripture is written. They've gone to the empty tomb. They've seen the stone rolled away. They've walked in. The linen cloth is laid perfectly. John sees and believes. And then verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Wah, wah, wah. It seems odd to me that here are these three people. Now, three people have witnessed the resurrection in this moment. Three. Allowable in a court of law. Three. They've experienced the resurrection personally. And they went home. But that's exactly what you and I do. We experience the power of Jesus. We celebrate his goodness and grace to us. We're encouraged and inspired and then we go home. We go home to our same old life, our same old worries, our same old frustrations, the same things that make us happy and mad, bring us pain and joy. The same attempts to make the world go round in our own power and in our own way, the way we want the world to go around. We're just like the disciples. Because they didn't just go home to celebrate and worship the resurrected Jesus. No, they went up and hid in a small room, hoping nobody would find them. Three of them had seen the fact that Jesus' body wasn't there. He was resurrected, and they went back to their old way of life. May that not be true of us today, that we wouldn't just see and believe or hear and believe, but we would understand the power, not just of his death to pay the penalty of our sin, but the power of his resurrection to give us life, life abundant, a resurrected, powerful life that no one can stop. No one. That power lives in you. And so don't go home the same old way. Go home different. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. And he will fill you with the power to conquer sin and death. He will fill you with the power to experience joy despite the crazy circumstances that are your life right now. He will give you the strength and the perseverance to overcome difficulty and heartache. He will give you the wisdom and the words to say when you have angst and frustration, when there's conflict. He will give you the words to say to that person who needs him desperately because he's an unstoppable God. And sometimes he's going to use you whether you like it or not. But I want to enjoy the ride. And so let us today not simply go back home. Let us be people who defeat worry, who resist temptation, who live with purpose and power 
who spread joy wherever we go. And we live the truth and we speak the truth because we know he is our living hope. He is alive. He brings life to us and he's called me to bring life to others. So today, let's leave this place differently. You're gonna go enjoy brunch or lunch or roast or a nap today and I fully bless that. If you want me to tag along, just let me know. But God has called us to not just go home. He's called us to live with power, resurrection power. Don't be afraid. There's no reason to be afraid because he conquered death. And guess what? If you follow him, you will too. So live as if you're going to live forever. You're immortal until he calls you home. So let's live that way. Yeah in the power and the strength of his resurrection. Will you pray with me?